Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we're so grateful to come before you on this special time. The real highlight of the year as we come to worship you at this feast, we thank you for so many who have come out and so many who have a desire to serve you through your feast as you have commanded in your word both anciently and today. We ask that you bless each one. Be with us as we enjoy this feast. Keep your hand of protection on us and that all might joyfully, without issues, honor you in this feast day. So we pray also that you be with those that are sincerely seeking you, too, as we might reach out to them. Through the words you've given us as we strive to, before Yasha returns, educate the world in your truth as you have given to us, and we're so blessed by that. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, for this day, for these who are gathered here. And may these messages come from your word that everyone would be edified as you have commanded. We pray also now for your guiding protection on all of us. In Yahshua's name, hallelujah. You may be seated. Good to see everyone here. And uh, hope you had a good night last night. It was, it was a good night for me. I had a lot of good sleep. You know, we did a lot of preparation. And now it's here. Hashtag the Reubenite waits in the gate of the tabernacle courtyard holding the altar of his bullock, waiting for the priest to come to help him sacrifice it. The scent of burning meat and fresh blood waft past him. The priest is very busy this day, this feast, this first high day of the Feast of Tabernacles, 2017 BCE. Hashdad notices a sweat on the priest's face as he goes up and down the ramp of the altar of burnt offering, stoking the fires, heating up, and sacrificing bullocks, rams, lambs, goats, along with pouring drink offerings and splashing blood against the altar as the law demanded. The scene will go on daily, and especially during each of Yahweh's feasts. It's a time of very busy sacrifice for the priests. The law had said, these are the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, holy comings together, calling out to offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to and, and a burnt offering, he says, and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day, Leviticus 23:37. There was never any question that Hashdad and his family would be there at the feast. In fact, all Israel was there. There was no question whether they would stay home, whether they'd sit in their tent. They would sacrifice on that day. The scene shifts to early October 2017. Bible student William Goh, he prefers to be called Willie. Willie Goh passes the office office, uh, water cooler, listening to the latest trivia. Co-workers telling off-color jokes and talk of their next weekend bash. But his mind is not on the frivolous. Something gnaws at Willie Goh. While studying the past Sabbath, he was struck by what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 18.21. And what really shook him was the resoluteness of which Paul made this statement. I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem. That sure didn't sound like if Paul was uh, unsure about going to the feast. It didn't sound like he considered feast observance optional or done away at the cross. Paul was steadfast to keep the feast. Even after this time, Yahshua had ascended to heaven. I know I should go to the Feast of Tabernacles too, Willie Go argues with himself, but if I do, I'll miss a paycheck. And I don't know what my boss will say, not to mention my unbaptized wife. I, I don't really have the funds to travel. Besides, the car isn't running very well. It needs tires. It needs a tune-up. And there's just so many things that would have to be taken care of. While trying to talk himself out of the tabernacle observance, Willie was nagged by the clear and unmistakable command in Leviticus to observe the time 
by none other than the one he worships, Almighty Yahweh. How can I look Yahweh in the face if I don't do what he tells me to do? How can I ignore his mandate to keep his feast, he asks himself. On the other hand, I'm having so many problems. It's just one after another after another. It's just, I don't know what to do now. After weighing the cost of the sacrifice, Willie decides he just can't go to the feast. Instead, he goes to work. And the entire week is misery. His conscience hammers at him the whole time. Nothing goes right the whole time. He feels sick about staying at home. In determination, will he go? Promises himself and Yahweh, I will go next year to Yahweh's feast. Two scenes, one ancient and one just yesterday. The one thing common to both is Yahweh's clear command to come before him to keep his feast of tabernacles, and in both there is sacrifice. So let's get the graphic up there. Sorry about that. Sacrifice. Sacrifice? Absolutely. No, we aren't throwing animals up on an altar to burn as a sacrifice, an offering to Yahweh. Since Joshua came, Yahweh doesn't want that right now. But still there is sacrifice in obeying Yahweh. Sacrifice of time. Sacrifice of finances. So other pursuits are sacrificed, like Personal relationships, maybe, but just not the animal kind. Samuel contrasted the concept of sacrifice by asking in 1 Samuel 15, 22, has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Sacrifice Yahweh wants is obedience Obeying him in all ways. There are many ways we must obey him. It's not always easy. Just as the sacrifice that you have had to come today. All right, so on behalf of Yahweh's Restoration Ministry, welcome you all. Glad to have you here, and I extend a warm welcome to everyone who has sacrificed to come out. We're blessed to see your dedication and are thrilled that you made... Tabernacles 2017, a blessing for you and us. You may know this is our first feast here at these facilities, and uh, it was uh, as we hit the ground running after October of last year and started planning and moving and getting things to go, you know, for the feast, for the year to come, it uh, really was kind of a blessing to kind of be able to look out and say, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Well, we can do this and that, and a lot of planning went in it. Uh, Randy, Ryan, the others are planning the facilities every day, it seems, working with the people who would get involved. So anyway, we uh, finally got here. We're not perfect, as as you probably know. We still got some way to go on getting things the way we want them, but you know, that's a part of sacrifice, too, for Yahweh, and we're glad that you're here. We have those here who have never kept a feast before. We have those here who have never kept a feast with us before. We have those who have kept many feasts before. With brethren, this happens to be my 50th. Um, Back in 1968, my first feast, I'll never forget it. You'll never forget your first feast. You'll remember the experiences you had and those you met, and they'll always be in your mind. I talked to a brother, Chester. He said, this is 49th. My wife's 49th. My sister's 49th. You know, it becomes the highlight of your life to keep tabernacles. It really does. And once you get into... Yahweh's way, it's something you'll always want to do. You'll always remember the joys of his days. So, after much planning and preparation, we're here to rejoice, as Yahweh commanded at the feast. We don't want to see any gloomy faces. We don't want to see any Debbie Downers. 
Sorry, sorry, Debbie's I just an expression, you know. Uh, I, wow. The command is in Leviticus 23:40, and you shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook. You shall rejoice before Yahweh your Elohim seven days. We've all come out of the world for an amazing time to fellowship, to do so much at this feast, to interact with each other and learn things from each other, learn the experiences others have had, kind of build on that repertoire that you'll have in the years to come and the things that people have said and told you and what they've been through. Do you know you can change your mood just by smiling? You actually can. Science studies have shown that your emotions react to your physical posture. Why should we be joyful? Well, for the promise of salvation, for one thing. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. Psalm 118, 15. What better reason to be glad? Think about it. We're here because of our desire one day to be in the kingdom, to serve Yahshua as a kingdom of priests. That lies at the root of everything we do every day, every thought. Hinges on that and our faith and what drives what we do here to be a servant of Yahweh. To receive that crown that James 1 and Revelation 2 talk about. And that's what Feast of Tabernacles pictures. The kingdom, the coming kingdom of Yahweh on earth. So we try to make it much as we can in our weak efforts here as human beings to be a part and like the kingdom. That itself is is reason enough to be here, observing this feast with joy. And here we gather for a week with others of the same mind, have gone through the same trials, have the same faith. You're not going to find that out in the world very, very much and have their hearts focused on Yahweh. We come out in a physical sense because the tabernacles is a pilgrim feast, a pilgrim feast where you go and observe the observance. Israel couldn't keep a feast in Egypt, a sinful place. They had to go to the wilderness to tabernacle. Yahweh did not have in mind a resort or a hotel or something in the middle of a metropolis somewhere. When he said, come out, keep my feast in the wilderness, that's what he meant. So it just happens that we're in a wilderness setting here at the home office, so uh, it's working out pretty well, and we're glad for it. And that is why we seek Yahweh as we come before him. You can't experience the promised land by dragging Egypt with you. Tabernacle, the word is mishkan in the Hebrew, meaning a residence, a dwelling place. We're here at the Feast of Dwelling Places. Another Hebrew word for tabernacle is ohel, meaning a tent, a dwelling, a habitation. So we come out here to live. I remember my wife was reminding me of our first several feasts, and uh, she said, I just couldn't understand. Our family couldn't get it. Why don't you just stay in your house? Why do you get in a tent? You know, it's not always very warm in October. That would be here, but... Uh, it's going to cool off, they say. But anyway, uh, why, do you, why do you do that? Go to a tent. Because we're keeping the feast of dwellings, special dwellings. Another uh, the scripture speaks of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the word sukkah, which is synonymous with mishkan and ol. And it means a booth, a cottage, a hut of entwined boughs. So it's a special dwelling place. It's not your normal place of dwelling. The implicit meaning in all of these terms is temporary living place. We live here temporarily. It's in the design of the tabernacle that Yahweh chose to interrelate with Israel in the wilderness. It tells us that we're just temporary here on earth. We're looking for something greater, a kingdom. that will one day make this look like nothing when we get to that kingdom, we talk about kingdom at the end of the feast. We've got a message prepared for that. But, uh, you know, when you look in, into the scriptures in Revelation, find out just how magnificent that kingdom is going to be. It just blows your mind. We'll look back on this and say, man, <laughs> a little bit of sacrifice I did for this? Unbelievable. 
The only way you can know Yahweh correctly is to practice the one and only way of worship that he commands. That's the only way. There's only one way. One faith, one hope, one baptism, Ephesians tells us. Only one way, not through different religions, you know, all roads lead to the kingdom. Uh Uh-uh, not true. There's only one way, and he says that over and over and over. Israel had to learn one way, and if you wanted to be in that way, you had to become a part of Israel, because that's where the covenant was with Israel. Clearly in his instruction manual, it's unmistakable that Yahweh expects total fidelity and devotion to him. We may sometimes fall short, but this is what he expects. So we repent, we apologize, and we go on in that way. This is what he wants of his true worshipers. We learn of Yahweh through the teaching and observing of his feast days. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, if you've got your scriptures. I don't have these on the board. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 10. In this chapter, Yahweh desired to be intimately personal. Intimately personal father. But he found instead a rebellious Israel. Wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Verse 11, I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. It becomes a part of your life. It's part of your DNA. There's no question where, well... You know, do we really have to? Oh, yeah, it's part of you now. His precepts become a part of life for the believer, and there's no question that the believer will observe them as he is told in the scriptures until his last breath. The feasts are woven into existence itself for man. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them. What is the one commandment that is a sign? It's the Sabbath. How important is that? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It's a sign between Yahweh's people and him. You don't keep the Sabbath. There's no sign between you and Yahweh. He doesn't recognize you fully. He may call you later, and that's great, but at that point, you're not in the same realm, basically that they might know that I am Yahweh that sanctified them. The Sabbath, and that's plural, that means more than just the weekly Sabbath, includes not just uh, once a year. You know, there's seven of them throughout the year. The term Sabbath is a metaphor for feasts in the scriptures. The Moedim, Moedim, connotes assembling, appointed times. I learned that that word is, means feet. Feet that travel. It's not just something on a calendar. It's the feet that travel, to go. And if you look at Israel, and if you look at the Hebrew as opposed to the Greek, very fascinating. We're going to have a little bit of a seminar on that. Hebrew is an action, a feeling language. Greek is an analytical language. Paul's on Areopagus, and he's walking around, and all these professors are up there, you know, and, and they're talking about the latest philosophy, the latest idea, just sitting around their togas, you know, doing nothing. And Paul goes up and he says, hey, over here, you have one, you have, you have, you have statues for all these different deities, but there's one that says to the unknown mighty one. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. I'm going to tell you about him. Oh, there's something new. Your guy's got something new to talk about. Not they're going to do anything about it, but he's got something new. Let's listen to him. And uh, so they, you know, he, he, he uh, explains Yahweh, but uh, that, that's just the point. It's action faith, not talking about it. It's action, it's doing, it's coming out as we have done now. So he said, I gave them these precepts, and they become part of the believer's life. And there's no question that you're going to be in those precepts and never give them up. He says, so that they might know that I am Yahweh, that sets them apart. Sanctify means set apart. The Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, and here, Sabbath is a metaphor for feasts as well, which it is in Scripture. The Sabbaths were a sign, setting Israel apart anciently. Who said? Yahweh said, said himself. Okay, so we in the 
new covenant now, desire, want to be a part of Yahweh's family. Therefore, the New Testament believer asks, which Sabbath did Yahweh or Yahshua give to us so that we might know him, like Israel did? Answer, the same ones that were part of the foundational covenant that were kept anciently and are also now being observed in the new covenant. If you understand the covenants, they're the basis of everything as far as I'm concerned. The covenants are the promise Yahweh gave to his people. You do this and I'll reward you with this, basically is what it was. So he gave them covenants to keep. And he gives them a whole bunch of of laws to do that so you know exactly how far to go and where not to go and what to do and what not to do and so forth. Uh, But they become a joy. You know, I've heard, I don't know how many brethren say, you know, I first started keeping the weekly Sabbath. It was, it was kind of a burden. It was kind of tough because the world is contrary to everything, you know, that a believer does or says, it seems. And so after a while, I really look forward to the Sabbath. Forced rest. Where are you going to get forced rest? There's nothing that nobody can anybody say, okay, now, you, you, you know, come on out. You've got to start doing this and that. Nope, I'm keeping the Sabbath. No work. No menial work. I'm keeping the Sabbath day. And that's such a, you know, when you're, when you're locked into that, you look forward to the Sabbath, especially when you had a busy week, or even when you don't have a busy week. It's still Yahweh's day, and he blesses you for it. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find any other Sabbaths or feasts given. Nowhere. We find that the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, have ever been replaced by something else. It's not there. The same goes for Pentecost, which you find the apostles observing, of course, in Acts 2. And nothing to take the place of the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. So what does Yahweh expect now? Nowhere from Matthew 1.1 through Revelation 22.1, that's the whole Bible, do we ever find anywhere in that text that the holy days that Israel was commanded to keep have been changed, replaced, modified, done away with by other holidays. In fact, over and over we find the apostles, as well as Yahshua himself, keeping these same days. To me, what better, what more solid evidence that they're important is Yahshua kept them, his apostles kept them because Yahshua taught them to keep them. And we're supposed to follow Yahshua as our elder uh, teacher and brother and everything, that uh, what he did, we would do. That's the whole thing. He patterned his life so that we would have a track to run on so we can do the same thing. So if he's keeping them, why on earth would you say, no, I'm not going to? It's because you don't know. You don't know Yahweh. You don't know his son. Hopefully you'll find him. Hopefully you'll figure it out. But at this point, someone arguing that, they don't know him. Paul in Galatians 6.16 calls the New Covenant Assembly the Israel of of Yahweh. Israel of Yahweh. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says that Israel's promise are lessons for us. Israel is a pattern for us as they are commanded to do. He says what they did anciently is for us to learn from. 1 Corinthians 10. I want to read the first, uh, let's see. One through six. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed, and that rock, and that's capital R, was Messiah. So here we have Yahshua as the rock in the Old Testament, leading them. But with many of them, Elohim was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things, verse 6, were our examples. They're our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things and you know, do the things they did. So there is our example. How can we say, well, that's just Old Testament, that's just ancient Israel. That's just... Yeah, and they're examples for us. That's right. That's what he said. The very one they say who has abolished and changed the whole system, the Apostle Paul said otherwise, didn't he? We're spiritual Israelites. 
If we're not physical, we're spiritual, we become part of Israel, not some radical new movement, you know, that called the church that has its own worship developed from what? 350, 360 of the common ear. <laughs> Doctrines that were developed through 20-some church councils when they hammered out what they're going to believe. Why don't they just go to the scriptures? You know, we have people say all the time, you know what? What you're saying, what you're teaching, I found out by myself in the Bible. The same thing, which to me is affirmation that we're teaching what Yahweh says in his word and not making anything up. If they can find the same thing with never even knowing we existed, to me that's... uh, That's a a real uh, message from Yahweh. He made a covenant with Abraham with promises that his seed would cover the earth like sands of the sea. And in his parable of Luke 13, Yahshua said, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, interesting, what they did was acceptable because they're going to be in the kingdom. The precepts and statutes and judgments they followed are going to be acceptable. They wouldn't be in the kingdom. And he says, when you see them in the kingdom, you yourself thrust out. Why? Because you decided, I'm going a different way. That's not for me. That's Israel. That's ancient stuff that's over and done. And you hear, it's so sad, because you hear churches hammer this over and over and over and over. You get so tired of it, and it never ends. So people tell us, oh, that's just Old Testament. Yeah, it is Old Testament, and it's the basis of the faith. From there on, that's what Yahshua taught. He taught the Old Testament because he didn't have a New Testament to walk around with. King James wasn't even alive yet. Coverdale Bible wasn't there yet. Tyndale hadn't done any translation yet. All he had was the Old Testament. He didn't have Paul. He didn't have the apostles. They hadn't written yet. Some of them weren't even around at that point. But... He says that those who are of faith are blessed along with faithful Abraham, Galatians 3.9. You're blessed along with Abraham, not in, you know, in deference to Abraham, not aside from Abraham, but with Abraham. See, all of these things start to tie together. You start seeing the Old and New Testament merge and become as one. Oh, yeah, there were some changes. We don't do animal sacrifices, but Yahshua explained that. He said, I'm the sacrifice now because I can take away sin, not just cover it up. Like an animal, only animals can't take away sin, we agree. Yasha said, I take it away. But that, he didn't say, I didn't take away the feast days, I didn't take away the Sabbath. He kept those things. We see it over and over. Paul goes to Macedonia, goes to some of the, uh, you know, some of the towns that he, he started his ministry, Philippi and all these others, Galatia and all of that, and... Uh, Corinth, up into the Greek area. What did he do? He went in on the Sabbath day. He didn't go in on Sunday. He went in on the Sabbath. He established assemblies, and then they worshipped on the Sabbath. And even the Gentiles came. They came the next week, and the next week, on the Sabbath. Why didn't he say, okay, guys, I know you're here, you know, because the Jews uh, keep the Sabbath. I know that's probably what you think, because I am a Jew, by the way tribe of Benjamin, but uh, tomorrow, or I should say next week, we'll, we'll be keeping Sunday. So don't bother coming here on Sabbath. We're going to be keeping Sunday. He never said that. The next week they came on Sabbath. The week after they came on Sabbath. Why didn't he, what was he doing? He was keeping the Sabbath as the law commanded, that's why. And, and he was teaching these people too when he started these assemblies all over. Asia Minor. Anyway, uh, we're uh, we're blessed along with Abraham, Galatians 3.9, not apart from, but with. Clearly then, what was required of Abraham and the Old Testament patriarchs is something that we also need to be doing, of course. There's not two different paths to salvation, or three or four or five. Uh, Our legislature had a, they opened their, Proceedings every day with, uh, uh, you know, prayer. And uh, I remember, I don't know what, what flavor, what denomination he was, but he, he starts off his prayer, 
you know, G-O-D, Buddha, whatever. You're all one, and we all worship. Where do they get this stuff? He's supposed to be minister of the Bible. And he's telling, you know, you can worship any way you want to. Blew my mind when I read that in the, in the uh, minutes. Anyway, uh, Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Above all people. So there's a blessing that we get that's extraordinary. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. Becoming a kingdom of priests is the same goal we have, or should have. Revelation 1.5 says so. And what all this means is that if you want to be a priestly tribe, so to speak, spiritually speaking, in the coming kingdom, you'll keep the covenant, you'll learn the covenant, you'll be able to teach the covenant. You'll be able to teach people, Isaiah 30, 20, 21. It says, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it when you go off kilter, you, you know, you go in the wrong direction. There's going to be voices telling you, ah, you're going to walk this way because this is Yahshua's kingdom now. No more of this hanky-panky. So uh, he says you're going to hear a voice. And you'll see your teachers, he says. Isn't that interesting? I don't know who it could be other than those who come through uh, this life and are acceptable to Yahweh and made a priest in that kingdom. You know, I've, I've met a number of uh, priests, basically, of the Catholic persuasion. Tell you what, those guys know their stuff. <laughs> they know. They're, they're very intelligent. They've done a lot of study. And they go, you know, through lots of schooling. A priest in the Old Testament, he was no, what, nobody's fool. I mean, he, he knew, and he had to practice every day his faith. A priest has to know his stuff. How can we be a priest if we never kept the feast, if we never kept the Sabbath? How are do people even stop and think about this stuff? Yahweh's going to say, oh, now, now, uh, now that you've, uh, well, they wouldn't even be there. I, it's just amazing how <laughs> he works with his people. We become a family. He teaches us. We learn. And then we go out and teach again. The same thing in the kingdom. It's going to be that way. You have to know what you're going to teach. And there's no better way to know something is to be a teacher of it. If you teach something, you have to know it because you're going to have people question you about it. You're going to have people not understanding it. You've got to get into it deeper. And you've got to know it. So here we are trying to learn Yahweh's way so we can teach others one day, perhaps, if we're found worthy. If you want to be a priest in the coming kingdom, keep the covenant. The priesthood, anciently, the physical priesthood, simply represented a more important future priesthood in the kingdom. The Ark of the Covenant that Moses was commanded to have made is only a replica of a spiritual one in the heavens. According to Exodus 25 and Revelation 11.19, you can look it up. Is that old covenant dead and buried? If we have, we have symbols of that in Yahweh's realm. Did he do away with that whole system? Why does he have, you know... Menorahs and stuff, I mean, if he does. Why, why would he do that if all this is abolished now? You can attack this from so many different ways. You come up with the same conclusion. It's the same from Old to New Testament in what Yahweh expects, except for a few administrative differences like in the priesthood. Because of Yahshua, he becomes our high priest, and because of the sacrifice that he did. But other things uh, really haven't changed we find uh, later on in the millennial kingdom there's going to be sacrifices again and people ah you're kidding me you, you know you're not Yahshua did away with that I mean that's gone and forever you know no it's held in abeyance now but Yahshua's role is going to change Yahshua's going to be Yahweh our righteousness and not uh, Yahweh our salvation so with the change in that uh, the people don't have Yahshua as we have him a different role is taken up 
That's the only explanation I have. They have to do like Israel did and go back and sacrifice animals again. That's what it is. I, I, there may be another explanation, but uh, it's right there in Ezekiel, you know, in Isaiah. So when Yahweh gave Israel a covenant that included seven annual feast days, something monumental was going on, something big, something big. Because as we're going to see, these feasts will be a part of Yahweh's kingdom, and we as spiritual Israel will be observing them. And so will the whole earth. He told the disciples, no more now, I'm going to keep the Passover with you until I keep it anew with you in the kingdom. So there's Passover. We have tabernacles talked about in the millennium. If the nation doesn't go up to keep tabernacles, guess what? They got a plague. They're not going to get any rain. If Egypt doesn't go up, they're not going to get any rain. So everybody's going to start keeping these feasts like they're supposed to in the kingdom. And if you don't have rain, you got what? You got famine. You don't have fa- you have famine, what do you have? You got disease. One thing leads to another. It's serious stuff. They're going to be forced to do it. Why not do it now and be blessed for doing it? Be blessed. Exodus 12 is about Israel observing of the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover in Egypt and the feast in the wilderness after leaving Goshen. Before even the law was given at Sinai. Notice that? They're keeping part of the law even before they even got to Sinai. Keeping the feast in effect before the law was given uh, at, at Sinai by, by Yahweh to Moses. Israel could not have a feast in Goshen where they were living. Yahweh specifically says to come out and keep a feast in the wilderness. Come out. That was the main reason Moses went to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go so that they may keep or hold a feast to me in the wilderness, Yahweh said. Exodus 5.1. People never finish that famous statement. They say in the movies and so forth, he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And then silence. Why don't they finish the verse? Well, because we do Xmas now. We don't do tabernacles. So we're not going to talk about that. You know. What we see here is the beginning of redemption through the Moedim or the appointed times, the appointed seasons. And was for the express purpose of holding these things, these feasts, that Israel was uh, to do when they were released from the captivity of, of Egypt. And that's why we talk to people. They want to get baptized. We say, you know what? You've got to start keeping the feast now. Because just as Israel, when they were released from the captivity of sin, they started to be obedient. So if you're not willing or not ready to do that, I'd say you're not ready. You better just do a lot of praying and uh, maybe... You have uh, some growing to do. Then maybe you're ready. But if you're not ready, don't, get, don't, don't make that step and then not be faithful to it. You're going to keep eating the Sabbath, the feast, as Yahweh commands. It's a big step. It's the biggest step you'll take in your life. It's the feast that brings us out of the world of sin and draws closer to Yahweh and the redemption through Yahshua. And that is the all-important lesson. This is a crucial truth in Yahweh's word. Dealing with his people. The feast and Sabbath present to Yahweh's people an outline of his entire plan and the purpose for the whole earth. And that's how critical and necessary they really are. And most people just blow them off. That is why Hasatan has done his level best down through the millennia to create counterfeit observances, to keep them busy, you know, keep them busy over here. They're forgetting about the truth over here. I've known... Brethren who struggled with a spouse that can't let go of Xmas and they fight it and fight it and fight it because this is their religion. There's no other way to, to say it. This is their religion. They don't come to the feast. They keep the world's religion and all the other days that the world keeps. So he, Satan's really got it down, you know, get them all busy over here and they forget about the truth over here. Not only to keep people from observing the biblical feast, but also to make them think they're pleasing Yahweh when they aren't. These are my feasts, Yahweh thunders in his word. And society today responds with that command with deafening silence. Blank stares. Deer in the headlights. Oblivion. They don't even, doesn't even phase them. 
We read another command in Deuteronomy 5.33. You shall walk in all the ways which Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you, that you may live, live, and that applies both ways, spiritual and physical, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. I've known so many believers who have lived well into their 80s and 90s. I don't think that's by accident. Yahweh blesses you with a long life when you're obedient to him. But anyway, the world doesn't get it. Whenever Yahweh says do, whatever he says he do, humans respond with passionate apathy. What he says don't do, man jumps at with full enthusiasm. Don't believe me? Listen to the chatter out there the third week of December, and they're just, just crazed by this observance. Learn not the way of the heathen, Yahweh thunders, and man not only learns every heathen way and custom, but invents new ways, new ways to enhance the observance, to be even more profane. When a boy, as a boy in uh, nominal churchianity, I remember the minister reading Acts 2, and which you know the churches say is the beginning, quote, of the church, which it really wasn't. We just read Moses said, 1 Corinthians 10, that this was the assembly in the wilderness. So it's, you know, nothing's new under, under that sun. But I remember them talking about Acts 2, you know, and I thought, wow, something that important. And I wasn't that old, 10, 12. I thought, why, doesn't, why, don't, why don't we do something about it? You know, we just talk about it. But we don't do anything about it. You know, it's, it, that's the one that they all accept, Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. They don't even know it has another name. Anyway, and how important it was as the birthday of the church, as they say. So I wondered, you know, if it's so special. Yet, we were always also reminded about Whit Sunday, Epiphany, Lent, Good Friday, and Ishtar. But these weren't in the Bible. You know, that's what never made any sense to me. And yet, the seven annual feasts were scattered throughout the scriptures, and how, somehow for years, we just never even talked about them, never even read the scriptures. Just went to Paul and said everything done away. There was Pentecost, big and bold, and we totally ignored it. They mentioned it, but they didn't do anything. These are my feasts, Yahweh says, and we looked the other way, dismissing them as just Jewish holidays. Another thing they don't get is Israel was just one of the 12 tribes. We're talking about a nation of Israel with 12 tribes and Judah is just one of them. So all of Israel was commanded, not just the Jews. They never get that. They never will get that. So anyway, think about that next time that you hear these crazy arguments. So we let, we, we let the world and the church traditions choose the holidays we kept. They choose, basically chose our worship for us. The seven annual Moedim are appointed times of Yahweh. They foreshadow future events. Colossians 2, 16 to 17, Paul tells us that we should not let unconverted outsiders convince us of or judge us concerning keeping these days. Let no man... Therefore, judge you, and it means really no outsider, in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or a Sabbath days. These are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Messiah. See, these are, these are, are uh, witnesses of something coming. If you have a shadow, first you have a shadow, then you have the real thing. See, So Yahweh gives us a shadow, we, we participate in the shadow, and then we'll have the real thing. And then he'll say, wow, now it all makes sense. Now I know why I did what I did. In the early New Testament assembly, all believers observed these things, the Sabbaths and the feast days, weekly, annual. Today Yahweh asks, who am I? Find out by keeping my feasts. You'll learn about me. True worship includes keeping my feasts. Yahweh never commanded anything more than that as far as observing days. You and I are here in willing, humble obedience to that command. And what a wonderful thing to see brethren of like mind willing to come before Yahweh and sacrifice this world and this life for something far greater. And one day you'll be rewarded for that obedience. You'll be rewarded for it. Don't ever think you won't. It may not have been easy to be here. You've had to give up some things. You may have faced persecution from family, friends, schools, the boss. But this is nothing new. I've seen it for 50 years. Nothing new. 
I remember when my son was going to, well, he was in the elementary school out here, and, and the principal called me up like he was doing something nefarious or something. Uh, I understand that your son wants a week off. I said, yeah, we keep a religious observance, the Feast of Tabernacles at that time. And he tried to kind of argue me out of it. I said, listen, sir, my son has kept these days all the way up to this point in his life. Once he leaves this school, he's going to keep on keeping these days for the rest of his life. So don't try to talk us out of it. It's something you're just going to have to live with. And I'm sorry, I, I just asked for your, your help and given an excuse absence. Absence. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to change you. I'm not train, trying to change anything. I'm just trying to practice my faith. And if you'd allow us to do that, and, well, he changed his tune after that. I, I don't think he had put it in perspective. I, I, and I know that they face a lot of truancy and a lot of kids that just you, uncontrollable. I understand that, and I feel for them. But in this case, it was so legitimate, and yet uh, it, it took a, an explanation. But anyway... I know it, it took some for you, too. I'm sure each has a story. Hard to get here, but uh, you got here, and that's what matters. Yahshua said in John 15.10 that if they have persecuted you, they will... Try that again. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's guaranteed. It's, it's, you can bank on it. And if those in churchianity think they, they are persecuted, they ought to, you know... Try the truth on for size and see how that works. You don't know persecution until you follow Yahshua in the way he commanded. Again, Acts 14.22 says that through much tribulation we enter the kingdom. We find in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who live righteously are going to suffer persecution. Now I know that we're seeing a change in our culture, and anybody that believes in the Bible starts to get persecuted, and I guess we're probably at the top of the list. So... Uh, anybody that lives closer to the Bible is going to get more persecution, but that's okay. We can handle it. When you resolve yourself that you're going to give everything up for him, then, you know, that's what you do. When you come to the point that your life takes second place to Yahweh and his word, and he becomes your first priority, then, hey, I can take anything. What do I fear that man can do to me? No one can take away my salvation. Except me, I can do things, you know, that uh, could really jeopardize it. But I don't live my life to please others, and I hope you don't either. And I've noticed, too, uh, brethren who come, they walk a different walk. They listen to a different drummer, you know. They're just different. They, 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 they don't, the world doesn't have such a hold on them. Yeah, we have to live in it. Yasha said that, you've got to live in it, but you don't, have to, you don't have to become a part of it so that it dominates your life. And they're different. They're just, they're just different. They think different, and they look at the world differently. And that, that's the way it is. I look at an apostle, and I think, you know, he's the same way. Look at John, John the Baptist, you know, going out in camel's hair, and coming around a corner and biting off the head of a grasshopper. And it just, he's just weird, a weird guy. But he was, Yasha said, no man greater. So if you want to be great, be weird. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, and I've had people, you know, my, they've had to tell their employee, you know, I'm, my employer is not going to dictate my faith. If I have to change jobs, I will. I will for the truth. That's more important than anything. And I've noticed that those that do, do well. Sometimes, usually, better than what they had before. You have to find something else to, to be employed by. Yahweh's not going to fail you. You think he's going to put you, you know, as a hobo under some trestle somewhere, living out of cans and, and wearing old shoes and stuff? You think Yahweh's going to allow that when you follow him? Uh-uh. It ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. He calls. We actively respond. Passivity isn't going to cut it. You can't just sit back in your rocking chair. Going halfway is unacceptable. He expects a total commitment, and that's what we're doing. And if this is the first time you've heard such things, then make this the first commitment that you plan to keep from here on. Total commitment to Yahweh. There are several here who came without their spouse because their love of Yahweh came first. That's very commendable. 
They're standing solid, and that can only be a good witness to their mates. Think about it. Your life is a preaching message to everyone you meet, and especially your mates. A wishy-washy attitude shows a wishy-washy faith. And that won't hold up to anything. At the first volley, they're going to be the first to fall. I look at the patriarchs of old, and you know, I, I wonder if I'll ever rise to that level. Man, can you imagine what they did, what they went through? Can I ever match that? If the Apostle Paul would question his own worthiness, where am I in that spiritual lineup? Look at the persecution he went through. Have you ever had to be let down in a basket to avoid an army after you? Who would kill you? Ever been in three shipwrecks or whipped five times within the inch of your life or stoned three times and yet turn right around and keep on going with even more force? That's just the physical trials. And then think about all those assemblies that go haywire after he starts them. You get some guy in there preaching something else. People get all messed up, and so he's got to go back and straighten it all out. And we're reading about these. These are letters. You know, the, most of the New Testament is letters to these different assemblies. We're reading private mail here to these assemblies. Not private, because then they passed it around to all the other assemblies, a lot of these letters. But he had to keep hammering the truth and say, look, you're going the wrong direction. Turn around. You're, you can't go that way. Had to worry about them, worry about his own life, worrying about just getting places. You know, it's just... It's a different world they had to go through. We, we have nothing to compare. We have nothing. Well, we're thrilled to have you. We're so glad you, you came. You come out in obedience to Yahweh's word, and there's nothing more important. It's our first tabernacles here. Let's make it a feast of, for the record books. If someone has an issue or problem, help them out. Help them out. Serving. You know, Yasha said... He, he didn't come to be served. He says, I came to serve. He said he didn't even have a place to put his head. He didn't worry about himself. He didn't have any creature comforts at all. But yet, look at what he did. He turned the world upside down because he was focused on others. So get involved. You heard Deacon Steve talking about getting involved here, you know. Volunteer, get involved. The more you get involved, the more you'll get out of the feast. And you'll benefit your brothers and sisters, and that's going to give you a lift. There's nothing greater than giving rather than receiving to give you a a spiritual lift. Sacrifice of yourself. And you're going to reap many more rewards than just sitting there and expect to be served. That's not what the feast is about. That's not what living the life of Yahshua is about. So Yahshua came to serve, and I hope that we all have that same attitude. And you'll leave here... You'll leave here a different person, I'll guarantee it. And you'll want to come back next time. Do more serving. May Yahweh bless you.